Welcome to the Dog Knowledge Podcast. I'm Renee Erdman, your host. I am a certified behavior consultant and trainer located in Vancouver, BC. BravoDog.ca is my website. And today we're talking to Michael Shikashio. He is a CDBC, which is a certified dog behavior consultant through the IAABC. That is the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants. Uh, and he is one of fewer than 200 certified consultants through that organization. He is what we would call an expert in working with dogs displaying aggression, and he is going to talk to us today about some of his cases, how he approaches these cases, and some hopefully helpful tips and tricks for you if you're faced with these issues with your own dog. Michael. Hi, I'm great. How are you? Great. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited (laughs) to do this. I love doing podcasts. Yeah, they're fun. Yeah. It's just, you know, relaxed. We can talk. No pressure. I don't like the the video interviews myself. <laughs> I like to just do the the podcast on the phone. It's great. Yeah, so, they're a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Michael, you are a certified behavior consultant, and you're located in Connecticut, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And so, your focus, you would say, you work with a lot of reactivity cases. Is that right? Yes. Um, I yeah. started actually just doing aggression cases a few years ago. I had kind of been training and doing all of all of the typical cases we see right. as trainers or behavior consultants for many years. But I, I kind of started getting into more of the aggression stuff uh, over the last few years. So, Right. And so how, how did you start off working with dogs? What's your, your background? Um, you know what? I, I used to actually do a lot of fostering dogs. I used to volunteer for a lot of different rescues and mm-hmm. uh, taking in a lot of foster dogs. Um, I, I enjoyed kind of, you know, helping out the rescue organizations at the time. But as you go and the, you become a more experienced foster, they start asking you to take some of the more difficult ones and, <laughs> <Right>. and it <laughs> kind yeah. of snowballs into like, you all right, well, you either got to sink or swim or know about behavior and training or yeah. like do something. So that kind of gotten that kind of put the training bug in my ear and I wanted to learn more about training and behavior so I started pursuing that and that's kind of what me got me into this whole uh, training and behavior career right Um, so I found you find sorry did you did you find it confusing at the beginning sort of which direction to go and Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, education. there's just and even <laughs> back. It was it was it's it's much better now, I will say. But back then it was just, just there was so much conflicting information. Not that there isn't now, but yeah. back then there was there was just I didn't know where to turn. In fact, the it's first place. Yeah. The first yeah. place I started was sort of a, more of like a balanced training school. And right. that's what I yeah. kind of picked at the time because it looked good and the marketing yep. was good. And I said, all right, let me try that. And that's sort of how I started out. But I've course evolved over the years but yeah right yeah yeah Yeah, it's it's definitely um it's difficult to know where to start and as even of course we can imagine how difficult it is for our our clients to sort of wade through all of the the terminology and the and the um certifications and all these letters and what do they mean right yeah, yeah, it's 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 a big sea of information out there and it's kind of it's kind of our jobs to like help them navigate that exactly yeah for sure. So you found in the last couple of years that your you, the aggression cases are sort of your niche, would you say? And and did that happen just by chance? By um, you know what? It's it's it kind of was part of the the whole fostering thing because I found a lot mm-hmm. of the dogs that were 
being returned to rescue or, you know, returned to the shelter, a lot of them had that, you know, aggression or reactivity, so to speak, as the the common factor. So I thought, you know, what better way to help these rescues in these shelters mm-hmm. by by keeping the dogs in the home and, right. and, and helping them address those issues. So that's kind of why I started really getting into it. And I kind of liked mm-hmm. this whole specialty thing. Like I mm-hmm. found that when I was going to see a puppy case and then a separation anxiety case and an aggression case, I found that I constantly had to quit kind of keep switching gears so like you're right you're getting that mindset of you know being able to play with a puppy in the last session and then suddenly the next session you gotta watch about you know not dying uh, <laughs> it's, it's and, quite the extreme <laughs> yeah so I, I i kind of found that but specializing you get to see you kind of get used to you kind of get in this groove of like seeing the same cases over and over and over and right it, it feels more comfortable and your safety standards are are definitely more consistent so there's a lot of uh, benefits mm-hmm. i think to specializing um, in fact, I just uh, added uh, Dr. Moira Heckenleitner to my practice. She's a vet that only does separation anxiety cases. Yes. Uh, so we've got uh, we've got that benefit of just, uh, and that's all she does is separation anxiety, and all yes. I do is aggression. So I think that's yeah. amazing. Yes, she, and she yeah. is certified through Molina. Yes, she program. is. A, yeah, she's amazing. a CSAT. Yep. yep. Excellent. Very good. Um, so, what would you say is the biggest challenge working with um, clients and their dogs? that are facing, you know, aggressive I think that the the biggest problem a lot of clients face is the the social stigma. You know, nobody's going out looking to adopt or or rescue an aggressive dog per se. I think once they discover that, they they, they experience embarrassment a lot of times. They don't know what to do. There's a lot of emotions involved. So helping them kind of work through those emotions and, and understanding really what's going on in their case is probably the biggest hurdle right from the initial um contact with the client because they're they're again waiting through that sea of information they don't know where to turn they're getting all this conflicting information from co-workers at work and family members and, and what they find online and so kind of getting them into a lane as far as understanding what they have is is probably the biggest hurdle uh, because they're, they're embarrassed and what happens right is is like you know with your reactive dog cases right you, you get a dog that's barking and lunging at other dogs or people on leash and it's embarrassing for a lot of owners so what happens mm-hmm. is they they start to avoid it more and what mm-hmm. happens there right is that they they avoid the problem but the next time they maybe try it was a huge event for that dog because mm-hmm. it may have been weeks before they had seen the outside world or seen mm-hmm. last scene. And it just becomes like this versus cycle. It just becomes worse and worse because the dog is exposed less to what we're trying to, um, you know, desensitize them to. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think it can be very isolating for a lot of people um, facing the challenges that you just mentioned and, and definitely frustrating too, because, you know, we, even if they're working with somebody, it's, it's family members and friends that are, are well-meaning, but are, are saying, you know, you need to do more, you need to have a heavier hand, you need to do this and that. And it's, mm-hmm. then they start to question, you know, what they're doing and, and the, the direction that we're giving them. So I, I can, I can only imagine it. it it's very very tough yes and just just think how confusing that is for the dogs i mean they're getting uh-huh. they're, they're trying all of these different recipes and the, and the dog's probably getting all kinds of conflicting you know information from the owner in, in terms mm-hmm. of how to behave it's it's it you can see how it just can really spiral out of control yeah um, yeah absolutely and and it is it's a confusing world for dogs living in our world as it is i i find you know it, 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 I can imagine. I can't say that, you know, I know I'm yeah. a dog, but we're just so inconsistent right. 
and um, it's confusing. So it's tough. Aren't they so resilient though to deal with us humans, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and what we do to do them they have sometimes? A Yeah, but bless all these clients that are reaching out and, um, you know, they're seeking help from us. So it, they trust us, you know, the majority, they're, they're putting their trust in us, which we have to be really, really grateful for, I find. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I, grateful for, and I think also responsible with, you know, because they're there sort of listening to everything we have to say. So we have to really be careful how we say things and, and make sure that we're, you know, you know, giving them the the latest and most up-to-date information, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I, I think that's a big responsibility because it's going to affect a lot of outcomes in cases. So. Huge. Yes. I know for myself, I didn't take um, aggression cases until at least, oh gosh, well, a couple of years into um, my, you know, working with dogs. And it really, it, it is, I think the challenge for some trainers can often be too, that they don't, if, if they're starting out and they're taking aggression cases is that, they may not have anybody to even refer to, you know what I mean? Right. So they're in this position where it's like, okay, I, I, I want to help these people. Um, I may not have the best skills. Uh, what do I do? You know it. So I, I can sympathize. It's, it's yeah. Right. There's, there's, they often don't know where the right resources are. So, and trainers yeah. can, can, can definitely be faced with that same conundrum. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you, uh, you, you used to be the president of the IAABC, and that was for five years, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's uh, a and long I, run. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a good run, and, and it was fun, and I had a, a great times. So it's such a wonderful organization, um, you know. And I ended up kind of semi-retiring from that yeah, position. You're still in, uh, yeah, involved. Just, uh, yeah, I am, and, and this just made me so I can pursue, you know, more with the aggression stuff and, and doing the courses yeah. and things that I'm doing, so. Yeah, I think yeah. that that's awesome. You're actually the reason why I became certified through the IAABC myself. Oh, so, wonderful, yeah. Yeah, 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 a lot of your it's... Q&As that you did and, and, and things like that. It's just, a, I think, a great, worthy organization to become certified yeah. through. Yeah, yeah. The community is by far one of the best I've seen in any organization there's just as and you've seen it there's just Quality so many w- w- wonderful yeah. members and you get you know what it's kind of why I joined the IWBC in the first place it, yeah they had some educational opportunities but really it was just for the community I kept saying seeing these names come up and I'm like oh I read yeah. that person's book or oh uh-huh. I saw that person <laughs> speak and I'm like well you know you're such a low membership fee and you can get in and get access to all these like authors yeah. and speakers I'm like I'm in so yeah for sure no-brainer absolutely um so yeah talking about that responsibility of getting the right information to clients about their animal's behavior. Um, I think, you know, we're often using labels to just, you know, describe behavior. We, we have to, but it, it unfortunately bleeds into using labels to describe dogs as a whole. Right. Um, how, what's your viewpoint on that? So, you know, as, and I, I know you are into the applied behavior analysis uh, background as well, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, as, as ABA folks, we don't use, we, we shy away from labels because um, mm-hmm. they, they don't help us, they're constructs. But um, I, I look at labels as, you know, and, and my, my 
um, the, actually, I bought the domain name aggressivedog.com, which is mm-hmm. by itself a very big label, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I find that that's what clients are either labeling their dog already or they're, they're, they have some sort of notion. So mm-hmm. it kind of gets them to me, but then yes. I can clarify, yeah. you know, what is really going on Smart, with their yeah. dog and, um, and it's kind of steering them out of those labels of my dog is alpha, my dog is red zone, my dog is dominant. And, and, and you hear those things and they're, they're already labeling their dog. So they, they, they come to me because they already have a problem. They know what the problem is and, and they're experiencing that. So, and they can label it anything they want. My job is mm-hmm. to break down those labels and, uh, of course, go into observable behaviors, right? So what is the dog doing when they are being that aggressive Cujo or whatever label they want to give it? Mm-hmm. I, then, I then decipher that for them, say, well, we know that your dog is barking and lunging at other dogs from 20 feet away on leash. And so to give it more of a, an observable behavior and putting into context rather than this um, global picture of, of labeling the dogs or something, uh, so, yeah, right. labels, I think labels can be helpful with professionals from peer to peer professionals, you know, and I, right. I, I, you know, I could say like, hey, Renee, I've got this, this resource guarding dog, and you'll have a I- general idea of what I'm referring to you. Exactly. Uh, but I think with pet owners, I typically avoid it, almost all labels because um, I don't want them going to Google. um, I I think that's impossible though Michael (laughs) it's unfortunately part of what happens but if I do impart language you know if I start throwing behavior language at them I'll kind of like throw in little things like the words like counter conditioning that way they're like what is that word he keeps talking about so then they go to Google for that and usually get pretty decent information on some of the terms out there so yeah yeah for sure Um, what types of cases are you seeing uh, the most of in terms of reactivity and, ag- and aggression? Um, right now I've had, I've had a quite a run on intra household dog, dog aggression cases. Oh. So dogs fighting in the home. Okay. Um, I've had over the summer, quite a bit of the, the leash, you know, quote unquote reactivity that, mm-hmm. um, you know, dogs barking and lunging or pulling towards other dogs or people on leash uh, mm-hmm. because of the nicer weather, people start to realize they have a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, and quite a few um, uh, dogs having issues with strangers coming into the home because again, it's summertime over here. People are busier, people are coming over and again, they're realizing that they have a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, that's kind of the sort of the the mainstream cases I'm getting now. I've had some interesting ones or some other, some interesting cases uh, kind of pops into my caseload here and there. So, right. Yeah. And how do you, um, explain the importance of prevention and management in uh within a training plan so that's a great question um i'll give you an example i was um, working with this couple yesterday in fact and they have this um these nice uh, springer spaniels and they're they're you know there is a, a bite history but they are contained by an invisible fence and nice, lovely dog owners, um, very novice about behavior though. So um, I'm trying to break down why their dog is doing what they're doing. And I, and, and I love this, this woman, she was like really super nervous about what her dog was doing. So she was like mm-hmm. super, super precautious. So usually you have to like instruct owners on safety and management when you arrive, but mm-hmm. she was, she was like on top of it. <laughs> like, <really. laughs> like I had like no worries about safety because she was like, you know, double leashed all this stuff. So, like she was, okay. all, she was doing everything the right wow. way. um, So I explained to her, the dogs are behind an invisible fence. And I'm talking to her about, you know, why the dogs are, you know, biting people as they come onto property. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm giving her my usual analogy. I'm like, I'm just like, listen, like there's so many things going on when you have two dogs behind an invisible fence and mm-hmm. the strangers are walking by. And I says, every time somebody's walking by the street and you have a, a busy street, there's lots of pedestrians and other dogs walking by, you, you know, the dogs are just practicing that behavior over and over. Mm-hmm. And you could see like this huge light bulb go off in her, in her mind. She's like, oh, wow, that, that makes sense. Cause I'm mm-hmm. like, every time somebody's walking by, they're barking and lunging. They think they're doing their job. The dogs are like, yes, that works. We'll just keep barking and lunging at people so they go away. And, <laughs> and it's just by virtue of the people walking by the house. Yeah. And so I kind of, they, they just never thought of that. They're like, you know, that makes just makes so much sense. And then, of course, I went into yeah. all the other problems with invisible fencing and two dogs, right. you know, adding fuel to each other, adding fuel to the fire. So like that social facilitation, you've got frustration, you've got the negative association with either the warning tone or the shock of the fence. I mm-hmm. mean, so there's, so I say kind of went to all explaining all of the problems with it. And fortunately this couple's actually a solid stockade fence for the back. Of the oh, house. excellent. So yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, explaining, um, you know, why management is so important. You, I, I use a lot of analogies in terms of how, why, you know, when dogs practice behavior mm-hmm. um, and how it can, it, it's important. They don't practice the behavior while you're doing the behavior modification mm-hmm. program. Mm-hmm. Like some, yeah. some analogies you use would be what? Cause I want to see if they're actually similar to some of mine. I, I bet <laughs> they are. I bet they are. I, you know, analogies are like they're, they're passed down from trainer to trainer. So a lot of my analogies I've gotten, you know, I'm just standing on the shoulders of giants as they say from, from maybe Patricia McConnell or something. I've yeah. heard something, some term. So I, you know, I, I can't, I should give credit to whoever they are, but sometimes you sometimes just don't, you don't remember. remember. You're like, Oh, that's a great analogy. I'm going to use yes. that. But, um, yeah. you, you know, I, I, it's a lot of it is just, you know, and I try to, one thing I do is try to find out what kind of job they do or what they do for a living. So I can use analogies. So like I had this school teacher this week and uh, we were talking about um, context. So like behavior happens contextually, not so much like unpredictably, like a lot of owners think, right? Mm -hmm. They think their dog, they don't know when their dog is going to be aggressive, but I think it just happens out of the blue. Right. But then you talk about context. And so for instance, like the dog's getting in a fight during mealtime, right? And she thinks like, all right, what, when, when else are they going to get into a fight? Could it be like just me laying on a couch or is it when I get out of bed or some, you know, so they're not sure. But when you explain how, you know, antecedent arrangements work and how, you know, context matters with aggression mm-hmm. a lot of time, it's, it's, you can use analogies with whatever career they do. So I'm saying, well, what grade do you teach? It's like, oh, they're like, you know, third graders. I'm like, okay, great. So when the bell rings and it's time for recess, what do you do with the kids? She's like, well, they all line up and they get ready for, for, to go out to recess. It's like, well, that's what exactly what you're going to do with your dogs when it comes to mealtime. So instead of letting the kids just have a free for all to see who can get out the door first for recess and pushing each other out of the way and trampling each other, you make them get into a line and just it's orderly. It's predictable, orderly events. You set the antecedent arrangement correctly, mm-hmm. right? You may have to, you may have to cue it the first few times, but mm-hmm. they, they'll learn that behavior. And the same thing with dogs. We teach them, okay, if you guys want to be fed, one is stationed here, the other is stationed there. So it becomes this predictable event um, in that context. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, any, I try to like, pick careers or like figure out what they do for a living, what their interests are. So I can kind of use analogies that are based on what they know. Yes. That's um, so smart. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sometimes you just come up with stuff on the spots, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know how it is. Yeah. No, that's so. great. Um, 
I, I think that when people are uh, just switching gears a little bit is when they're getting a dog, um, you know, or a puppy or even an adult dog, and they're talking about, you know, I want to do everything right. I want to do everything perfect from the start without them sort of considering genetics and, and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, prior uh, experiences. But in terms of prevention, you know, if we want to sort of overall say, okay, want to prevent aggression in our animals what are some things that um we can keep in mind uh and when should people reach out for help yeah so that's a great question you know so it's like the the six people on the planet that would actually be preventative about aggression <laughs> <laughs> i would give them the advice you know do it do what you're thinking about be proactive about it be right. proactive rather than reactive mm-hmm. about the behavior so preventative maintenance you know so if it's if it's preventing resource guarding right or dogs that growl near their food bowl mm-hmm. let's do preventative maintenance you know walk by and toss treats from a distance into the food bowl and those kind of things can mm-hmm. be used as preventative measures Mm -hmm. rather than waiting for the behavior to start to surface or worse doing things to make it worse right um so you know being proactive is is super important you know so if it's if it's say for instance the dogs that are reactive on leash uh towards other stimuli then being proactive if if you know that there's a propensity for that or maybe they've experienced it with their last dog or mm-hmm. um you know they have a friend that has a belgian malinois also and they just got a belgian malinois let's be preventative and proactive mm-hmm. you know and so um work on that those leash skills you know making sure that's a loose leash work on instead of counter conditioning now we're just doing straight classical conditioning because we're not countering anything at that point right so if we can just get out there with with our treats and just say all right every time you see a dog that's when the fun treat party happens that's going to really be helpful to prevent actual problems from creeping up Uh, i'll also put this in there um just say no to unleash greetings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, I think it's like this social thing that we we feel like we have to do with dogs and like do these unleash greetings. The dogs have to see how that. You know, I'm in the camp that says no to unleash greetings ever, even really? if it's my own dogs. Okay, Be- yeah, um, and this will be an interesting discussion because I am I'm sort of on the other side where I think well should we shouldn't we practice this to normalize the behavior and have good you know good associations because at least where I live there's it's a big um there's a large amount of dogs that spend the majority of their time actually mm-hmm. off leash so then what I okay. find is that we have really frustrated dogs on leash so I always I always sort of suggest okay let's practice 50/50 for a balance mm-hmm. you know your your dog spends time off leash but then spends time on leash um, and practice with, you know, appropriate dogs and maybe friends and family, um, proper leash greetings. What are your thoughts on that? I, I, yeah, so that's, that's, I think a lot depends on your environment. So if you do have um, areas or, you know, depending on where you live, there's certainly much more off leash dogs. Um, In my area and in sort of this touristy section of Connecticut, you will have most dogs on leash. In fact, you rarely encounter dogs off leash unless you're in the park area sounds like you live in heaven because it's well well, the problem you have here is is the people that are like you know so you have tons of tourists and they see your your fluffy dog and they're like oh you can you know they don't even ask they just come over and try to pet your dog that's got human aggression issues and Uh, so that that's the the thing we have to contend with here but understood um, okay uh, so what happens i find with on leash greetings is that if you in inver- like int- intermittently reinforce it by allowing the dog to do an on-leash greeting. Right. If then what happens is you get like this nice 
you know, variable schedule reinforcement that actually they start to, and, and unless you have a really savvy dog handler or trainer, right. They're not, they're going to be like, okay, he's, he's pulling. Let me just go that last few feet to get to the dog. Yeah. But the, let's like bat that leash grab. So they're, they're high, they're heavily reinforcing that inappropriate behavior, just pulling on leash mm-hmm. and grabbing charge of the dog. And then when they try to like fix it, they're pulling on the leash, back, pulling the leash back. So they're adding frustration to the behavior. Mm-hmm. So there's, yep. it, it can start to spiral out of control where they're having a real tough time because the dog is now expecting sometimes. And if they can't get to go see those on leash dogs, they get frustrated. frustrated. Yep. So, um, so I, I typically teach owners just like, okay, if you want to go say hi to owner and a dog, you know, this teach your dog, the skills to sit next to you or get behind or just wait for that cue. Right. Um, and then if you want to do off leash plate, it's great that, you know, there's nothing, mm-hmm. of course I'm advocating for off leash play. It's great. Absolutely. We right. Want that to happen, but, yeah. um, it shouldn't be in the context of being on leash if they don't want to create an issue. Right. right? So it's so and, tough. And, and leashes, on-leash greetings are, are terribly um, fraught with problems because of the number of just. In fact, I was reading a study just the other day, uh, and I was trying to dig it up for this podcast, but it's the, the study was showing that it's four times more likely for dog aggression to occur on-leash versus mm-hmm. off-leash. Wow. Um, and, you know, we know all the problems with, with tight leashes and leash problems and yeah, you know, I, I I I give this analogy when I'm at my seminars. I say it's once, and I have a couple of great videos I show it too. It's like when the dogs are greeting, and the owner's got a nice loose leash, beautiful loose leash on the on leash greeting. The owner pulls the leash tight mm-hmm. to try to move the dog away. I always say it's like pulling the trigger on a gun. Uh, it's going to you can. Yeah. You can actually see it happening in the videos where the, as soon as the leash gets tense, that's when the dog actually tries to snap or bite the other dog. So, yeah, um, and, and that's one of the problems. So, mm-hmm. again, most most handlers are, are or pet owners are not going to have quite the leash handling skills um, until you teach them that. So, mm-hmm. so um, you know, and it, you get all the other problems involved with with leashes, tight leashes, restrict movement, so you can drive frustration of the behavior. You're removing the flight option for dogs that are fearful of other dogs. Yes. And, yeah. if, and you, as you know, you remove that flight option. What are you left with? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's plenty of problems with leash um, greetings. And that's, that's why I say I usually coach owners to say no to on-leash greetings. Yeah, fair um, and I also coach them what to do with off-leash dogs that approach, you know, so like if you're training your dog, you're going to have treats. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the neighborly friendly thing to do is to, take a huge bulldozer handful size of treats and throw it right at the oncoming dog <laughs> that's approaching. Yeah. Uh, and that keeps them occupied. So you can get, you can move away with your own dog. Um, you know, proactive measures like that can, can really diffuse any problems with an off leash dog approaching your on leash dog. And of course I go into other defensive handling tactics in, in my seminars, but mm-hmm. that's kind of like the nicest thing to try at first. doesn't work with all dogs, but yeah, um, it will work with some dogs. Yeah. That's a handy one yeah. for sure. And, just so aside from avoidance um, on, on leash um, greetings for for dogs, um, what are some other things that you would um, advise people to avoid if they're noticing, you know, some reactivity or aggression, aggressive, aggressive behavior? Um, certainly um, using corrections or punishers is more the appropriate term. So trying to punish the behavior mm-hmm. of reacting. Uh, because we all know about associative learning, right? Uh, and it's it's and it's not to say that punishment doesn't work. I, I 
used to use it all the time when I was first starting out. It, you mm-hmm. can stop a lot of the behavior, but it's, with some dogs, it's going to make it absolutely worse mm-hmm. because you're, it's, you know, as, as they say, Pavlov's coming along mm-hmm. and he is not going to be happy about it when corrections are happening and you're adding in a negative association. So mm-hmm. um, once, you know, if you're correcting the dog or pulling on, you know, yanking on that leash or even tightening the leash or, you know, yelling at the dog, whatever it is, um, when the other dog comes into the picture, boy, that's some, that's some really good classical conditioning happening there. And it can, of course, make things uh, worse very quickly in my experience. Yeah, absolutely. And equipment uh, on top of that, right, is, is really important. What's your, um, what type of equipment do you suggest that people are using? I generally start with a harness, a uh, front clip harness for, for handlers that are having issues with um, dogs that are really pulling hard or there's larger, stronger dogs. So Freedom Harness is one I, I go with. The Rough Wear is another one. Balance Harness mm-hmm. are all good ones. I'm, I'm looking for a harness that's not impeding any kind of movement right? Um, or shoulder, natural shoulder movements. So I like those brands of harnesses. Agreed, um, yeah. In some cases, I will um, acclimate a head halter, a gentle leader to the dogs that are... Um, either uh, pulling literally pulling their handlers off the feet even using a, a front clip harness mm-hmm. um, or they uh, have a ten- tendency to redirect and bite their owner right so yeah. um, typically the the two major reasons I would incorporate head halters but most of the time it's uh, a harness of some kind uh, right. because again I want freedom of movement so that I want the dog to feel like I'm Basically, you kind of want the dog to feel like they're off leash. So good leash handling skills, good you know loose leash walking skills, mm-hmm. and a and an equipment that's going to give them that freedom of range of movement and being able to feel like okay, I'm free, I'm not restricted in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. that's something I also look for when I'm working on leash issues. Yeah, there are a couple of front clip harnesses that I've noticed that really hang below the the bicep area and cut off yes. movement which yes. can be, which is sort of a pet peeve of mine, um, for the dogs, <laughs> yes. um, because you can imagine that it, it's definitely restrictive. And I think with repetition over time, that's really going to, um, affect their alignment, their health, things like that. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I like those brands as well. And then, um, you recently did a, uh, a nice review of some of the, the, some brands of muzzles, right? Some basket muzzles. Yes. Which yes. is really nice. Um, and which which brand did you did you find was the winner? Um, well, I guess it depends. It depends. <laughs> question. You know? It depends. Um, yeah. I, I think yeah, it depends on the dog and the size of their um, their snout, the head mm-hmm. shape, um, kind of what your needs are as well. Mm-hmm. If if it, I, I'll. Generally, I'm going with the Baskerville Ultra Muzzle because I find that fits most dogs well. Right. But if I'm if I have a dog with a longer snout um, or shorter snout, I'll sometimes go uh, with the longer snout. I'll go with the Jaffco Muzzle. Right. With the tr- with the treat hole in the yeah. clear plastic version, if possible. Mm-hmm. And then with um, dogs that need a custom fit, I'll I'll go with Bumas muzzles. Yes, they're um, very nice looking. And did you find that um, for the Bumas muzzle? that you had to adjust it at all for the food delivery? Um, they can, they can custom, a... they can configure it any way you like. So they, nice. they have where you can have it completely covered where there's no way the dog can get anything off. And they, they call those poison straps where the dog, if the dog is getting things uh-huh. off the ground, um, then they can completely cover it or they can have space in between. I, I do find food tubes work better with the Boomas muzzle. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, things that are, um, that can feed, um, 
softer food through a tube is much, much easier than using treats. Although treats can uh, be fed through the boomers as well. Right. Just takes a little more, a little more dexterity than the, uh, the Baskerville. Yeah. And how often are you recommending people use a muzzle? Um, and what are the challenges that you're finding clients have with muzzle training? So muzzles, you know, they, they really a lot depends on the client. Sometimes you have to spend a little time um, helping them through their biases about muzzles and sort of the stigma that's involved. I find a lot depends on where they live. Mm-hmm. Really. If they're living in like a, a beachfront community and all the dogs are just happy running around <laughs> at the beach and, the, and they've got their one dog that's, you know, coming out like Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of social stigma there. So you have to, you have to help them through that. But I always say muzzles are much cheaper than a lawsuit um, mm-hmm. or worse, you know, some mm-hmm. of the worst, the, the, the things, other outcomes that can happen in a bite situation. So mm-hmm. Um, once you start talking about, you know, liability, homeowners insurance, um, animal control getting involved, um, disposal orders from animal, animal control, mm-hmm. that, that really helps to convince them to, yes, I think a muzzle is necessary. And so generally, it's in most of my bite cases, so if the dog has bitten other dogs or people, um, I will uh, be usually acclimating to a muzzle. Um, some cases I may or may not um, or I should say I may not initially recommend the muzzles if it's a low-level bite case or a very uh, specific event that the dog bites in. So, right. for instance, ju- just resource guarding the food bowl, that would be in not- nothing else. Like if the dog is totally fine in other, all other uh, contexts, then we can probably we probably don't need a muzzle on that because, number one, it's going to make it very difficult for the for the training aspect because yeah. <laughs> you're slowing down the feeding, but you know, it's, it's so contextual and manageable that um, you can, you can avoid bites in those situations. So, uh, so yeah, case by case basis really for yep. when I do recommend a muzzle. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So last question I have for you is one of probably the, I don't know, I, for me, it's a common question is how long is it going to take to fix my dog? i know it depends but yeah um i think you know oftentimes clients want to know like what kind of time commitment are we looking at um depending on the severity of course Um, yeah so i I give them i go through some variables so i educate them on what variables would be involved on the length of time it would take in a certain case and Mm -hmm. So the first one I come out firing with is owner commitment and involvement. Mm -hmm. So they start to realize that you can kind of see the wheel spinning like, huh, if I want to be successful, I actually have to do something. (laughs) (laughs) So so instead of having that, you know, you got to do your homework or make sure you do your work kind of talk. It's like if you want to be successful, you have to be involved. You have to actually do the work. Mm -hmm. And so I'll say it really depends on how much work you're able to do. If you want to move things along more quickly, then – then if you were to do nothing, then you're going to actually do the work. So the more work you can do, that's going to be a, a major variable in your case. Mm-hmm. And then, of, of course, I talk about the dog's ability to learn and the amount of impact that behavior modification has on both their associations and their learning. Um, and a lot can be dependent on how long the dog's been doing the behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot can be, uh, it can be dependent on the dog's sort of general um, I don't like to use the word temperament, but the word, the, the dog's general um, reason for their 
they're behaving. So if it's a if it's for, for instance a dog that's just you know pulled off the streets of uh, Mexico and shipped up here and mm-hmm. they have no social skills at all or something like that, it's going to be a much more difficult case than your uh, you know golden retriever that just happened to start guarding the food bowl but is totally happy go lucky in every other context in life. So right. um, I look at sort of the dog's social history and what their you know what kind of um, personality they have in regards to the behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll look at um, how often they can get around the antecedents. So, if, you know, if it's a dog that's aggressive towards strangers coming into the home and they only have, you know, one person over every year for Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. they're, they're not going to be able to change the behavior in that context because they're not able to set up the actual behavior modification scenario. So oftentimes we're like, well, it's going to be easier just to you know, board your dog on Thanksgiving. Problem solved. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it depends on how much they can get actual exposure to those stimuli that are um, um, causing, you know, bringing that behavior into play. Um, what else would I look at? I look at their ability to manage it and be able to make sure they prevent practice and rehearsal of the behavior. Mm-hmm. So if like if they're living in a home with like I had this again this case yesterday, this they have like a bunch of children in and out all the time, and mm-hmm. uh, people opening and closing the door, and the dog running out all the time. It's a much more difficult management scenario. So it may take longer uh, mm-hmm. if the dog's allowed to practice that behavior. Right. Um, I look at behavior meds too. So if those, if we're talking about behavior meds and how long we're, those might take to um, have an in. effect. Yep. Um, underlying health issues, we have to resolve those. Um, yep. So there's, fast there's, is not the is not an option. <laughs> in most cases, basically, in what most we're cases, to say yeah. Here. Sometimes <laughs> I sometimes yeah. I am surprised though. I will say that yeah. some cases I'm Pleasantly just surprised. blown away by how fast the the dog's behavior can be changed. But yes, yeah. most most cases it's give the yeah, I think it's important to arm the clients with that information so they can kind of weigh what's mm-hmm. the variables and be aware of them too, and 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 so they know that it's going to affect the outcome of their case. Yeah, there's so much to consider um, when designing a, a training plan for somebody and, and their dog and so many considerations. And I think, it, it, you know, we all want everything to happen quickly in life. And that's just the, the society that we live in. But yeah, we have to think of our own behavior and how slow that is to change. I mean, and as, as we get older and habits are ingrained, and I'm not saying that behavior is, is always is a habit, and, but just thinking about your daily routine, that's hard to change itself. Um, right. Absolutely. You, know, you start up a new, a, a new exercise um, program, you know, the chances that you're going to stick with it after 30 days, I don't, you know, it, I think it takes 30 days or longer for it to even become a habit. So, you know, we want everything to happen quickly, but it's definitely going to, I, I, I feel it, it definitely sets, sets us back, sets our dogs back when we really rush things and, and don't, um, follow follow a really solid plan right absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. it's and, and i use that analogy a lot too by the way <laughs> the oh, do you? Okay. yeah <laughs> yeah well I, I think it it makes sense right and then and we're humans and we can decipher so many different things but animals it's a lot harder yes yeah so a lot harder so um tell us uh just in closing uh what do you what do you have coming up you've got do you have a, a course or is that closed that's September um, 11th. I have quite a bit coming up, actually. Yeah, um, yeah I've got the I've got the IWABC Aggression and Dogs Mentorship that starts September 11th. 
I've got the Dog Trainers Connection, uh, How to Work Aggression Cases A to Z. That starts September 26th. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got uh, Trish McMillan and I are doing our launching our world tour <laughs> for Amazing. the aggression in dogs uh, defensive handling and training workshop. <laughs> um, uh, we're actually going to be in Washington D.C. Uh, September 8th and 9th, nice. uh, but then we're doing, we're going to be traveling all over for that. Very busy. Um, yep, I've got. You've already uh, come to Canada though, and you've come yes, and gone, right? Yes, I think Toronto? the once, yeah, Toronto. We've been to Calgary, mm-hmm. Nova Scotia. I th- we still haven't hit Montreal, so we'll, uh, or we'll Vancouver. So yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yep. We'll have to so. see if we can arrange that maybe yeah. in your your busy schedule. Um, <laughs> and then, and all your information is on your website, completecanines.com. Yes, it's all right? there. They can see all. If anybody's interested in the courses or the seminars, they can. Uh, it's all listed on that site. Yep. Very nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Really inter- interesting conversation today, and uh, we will catch you on your website if we uh, want to get in touch. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. I had a lot thank of fun. Thank you, Michael. Take all care. Right. All right, okay, you too. Bye. Bye.